and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, a very relieved Nick Cameron, joined by my good friend, a musical media guy, Duncan Evans. How are we doing today? <laughs> yes, doing all right, man. Doing all right. Just busy, busy, all the usual stuff. But yeah, it's all cool. How about yourself? Relieved, you say? Yes, I am extraordinarily relieved. Uh, we sold our house. We sold, well, actually, we sold our home. We live in a house, but that's besides, that's neither here nor there. But we, we, we sold the house we have been working on for the past six months for sale. And the stress level I have is now down to nothing. And I don't even know who I am anymore. My whole identity was wrapped up in being over there and working over there for the past forever. And it's actually the longest. It's the I lived in that house for 13 years, which is the longest I've ever lived in one home. So there you go. It's nice, very bitter, nice. very bittersweet, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's cool, though, man. Well, congratulations on that. That's excellent. Thank you. I had actually originally intended on purchasing for myself a copy of Motley Crue's self-titled as a woohoo. We sold the house present. Okay, but you didn't because it's four hundred dollars, which I knew that going in. Oh, really? Well, that's for any vinyl copy. Correct. There's only Europe. In South Korea. Why is that? That's weird. It came out in 1995, and there was no vinyl pressing in America at that time to speak of, apart oh, from self-titled. I thought you meant debut, but you mean the, yeah, and you mean the one that we did with um, mm -hmm. thingy on vocals. What's yep. whatever it's John Karabi. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, I wouldn't pay four dollars for that. Never mind four hundred dollars. Uh, I'd probably... pay four bucks for it, and I mean. <laughs> The I thing about I think it, I was a bin it on that one. I can't remember to be honest. Now I am a spin it. I still love that record. Uh, I did get a John Karabi record in the mail today, though uh, Union Live at the Galaxy, and I, I instead of buying that album because I thought about it, I'm like, wow, I'm gonna have a lot of anxiety about this. What if I drop it? Which has happened. What if it's counterfeit? Because I don't know, and I have to order it from South Korea, which I don't like. And in the end, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So instead, I just bought a pile of records. Although nice. my friend said my friend at work says three records is not a pile. However, it did cost me a pile of money to get them. So that'll do. That'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also uh, in vinyl acquisition news, I picked up a copy of Probot on vinyl. Oh, yeah, you showed me that, I think. Yeah, nice. That's great. It's extremely well, expensive if you get it off Discogs, but FooFighters.com and their store has it. Well, there you go. For $25. That's all right. That's fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. nice. Anyway, today we are talking about a record that is so far lost, so far forgotten. The principals probably don't even remember this record because it was never released. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've done a record that was actually never released. Yeah, so this is Guns N' Roses content. It's also Faith No More content as well. Uh, I don't um, know how much he's on there, though. Nobody knows. It's still unclear. But uh, yeah, well, it's Duff McKagan's. Um, I believe this would have been his, hang on, second or third solo album. I think second. So. Right, it would have been his second solo album, 
um, and it was uh, called Beautiful Disease, and it was uh, recorded in 1998-1999, but basically um, what happened was it was on Geffen Records, Guns N' Roses were also on Geffen, and they merged with, I've lost the Wikipedia page, basically a Universal. Right, it's to do with Poly, Polydor and Universal merging or something mm-hmm. like that. And one of them was the parent company of Geffen. So they all merged and then basically loads of records got dropped or got shelved, including this one. That so... doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the expensive part isn't producing, isn't printing it. The expensive part is producing the damn thing. Although he did record it, he, he self-produced, recorded it in his basement, essentially. Which as a recording studio, not just, you know, my basement. But he, he recorded it himself. He played all of the instruments himself, supposedly, apart from some... Uh, it does say Mike Borden. It doesn't say what, though. Mike Borden, Faith No More, playing some Yeah, drums. he's listed as drummer, but but so is Duff as well. And Duff had also played in previous bands as drummer. So he, oh, I he didn't was know that. drummer as well. Yeah. Um, well, there's a band we might want to look into, actually. Um, hang on. Let me just get this... Uh, uh can't find the band now but uh hang on is it te- yeah 10 minute warning hardcore punk band in the early 80s before guns and roses i think they might mm. have reformed late yeah they reformed later on after guns and roses uh, or after duff left guns and roses but yeah they were a seattle band i think is duff from seattle uh born uh yes hometown seattle washington there you go he's from seattle must must have moved to la at some point but um yeah basically um they they yeah hard hardcore punk band and he was the drummer so there you go yeah 10 minute warning was reformed in 1997 and he was in guns and roses from 85 to 97 yeah it should be, as I'm sure no one knows, because Guns N' Roses is a very, you know, minuscule band that almost no one's heard of. Absolutely. In 1987, they blew up with one of the best-selling and best ever, really, best ever debut records of all time, which, of course, was Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. Then, in my humble opinion, they then hit the... They, they, they blew their load on that first record, and they were never going to do anything quite that good again, and they never did. So they came back a year or two later after it hit because it took a good two years of pounding appetite for it to go. And they they released GNR Lies, which was a live album, which was not. I was doing it wasn't live. It had a live thing with it called Live Like a Suicide. But it was um, no GNR Lies was not live. It's mostly acoustic stuff, but it's like an EP basically. Right, it's an EP. They called it. I think they called it live. You know what? No, I could it was mistaken. it was the other half. The other half they called live. It was it was GNR Lies, and it was uh, like live like a suicide. I think had already been released as a live EP, and they 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 filled mm. the rest of that album with that. But the, no, they didn't say that Lies was live. Okay, fair enough. I'll I'll drop that then and move forward. So. <laughs> That had the the hit single Patience, which I'm sure we all remember. Then a few years after that, they released the Use Your Illusion set. Uh, two albums, not a double album, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Well, they were both double vinyl. So t- Were they really? Yep, on vinyl. I mean, not, oh. not that long, but probably about an hour long each, yeah. Mm. So, so they, were, they were double 
uh, CD. I've got them both on vinyl. So yeah, single CD, but double vinyl. Like the one. originals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were originally on double vinyl. Yeah. No, no, I, I mean... Have I got the original? I probably not. I can't. I bought them years ago. I can't remember. I doubt they're original. They might be. I I don't know. I didn't pay loads for them, so I don't know. Yeah, but you also you also sent me a copy of Black Sabbath Tear, which you paid a five pounds for. Yeah, I can't remember how much I paid for it. In fact, I think I've I've got a funny feeling somebody gave me these. So actually, they could be originals. I think someone gave me them. I don't know. I would take a look at those and see if they're original, because you know what? If they are, I am sure they are worth stupid money that you could sell and then purchase Lulu. Unfortunately, Lulu has gone up in value. It is now four hundred dollars. Wow. It was a hundred. Yep. So glad I got my copy. Anyway, so then, you know, they use your illusions, they do the big tour and all that. Then in 94, they come out with their covers record, The Spaghetti Incident. That record was a weird one, and we should probably do that because I don't think anybody ever really listened to it. Uh, yeah, I kind of like that. It's it's covers. Yeah, in fact, it's all covers, I believe. Yeah. Um, might be one original on there, but yeah, mo- most. No, punk- no originals. There are no originals, right? Mostly punk covers. Mm-hmm. There's a Rolling Stones cover on there. It's it's pretty cool actually, but it was never going to be a big record, you know. What's interesting about it though is it's like, it's like a pickup game, you know. Duff is playing guitar, Slash is singing. It's just every every song had a different lineup of those guys doing different things, mm-hmm. which which is what I think makes it cool and. He did sing on a couple of tracks, and and Slash sang on Buick McCain, which is probably my favorite song on that album. Anyway, oh yeah, so, Soundgarden cover. Yeah, yeah. So then after that, after that album, they don't think they really toured on that one. And Guns N' Roses, after after Appetite hit, of course they start parting out, and they just start losing people, and to the point where it ended up being just axel in guns and roses he was the only original member and the only and the only member who had played on any of the albums they were touring behind Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so duff holds on until 1997 which is yeah i think he was one of the last ones he was one of the last slash had well gone slash went in like 94 or 5 or something Mm -hmm. yeah duff was one of the last to go I think he was well, I think he was the last to go, apart from the keyboard player who at the time was never quite properly a member, um, Dizzy Reed, who is now a proper member. He he's like the only apart from Axel, he's the longest running member. Right. Dizzy but Reed. he I don't think he was ever officially a member. He he wasn't back then, no, but he'd been on like I think since the usual illusions he'd been in the band and mm. played live with them since then. Uh so yeah. There you I, go. I would give him probably a Jeff Nichols style status. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. so yeah, so he's the last one to go. And during his tenure with Guns N' Roses, his first release comes out, Believe in Me in nineteen ninety three. It's a major chart topper. It hits 137. Wait, is this um is this Duff McKagan's first yeah. album? Yeah, believe okay, in me. Right. I didn't know. Oh, so that was during Guns N' Roses, right? Mm-hmm. Never heard it, don't know it. Maybe we'll do it one day. Also never heard it, don't know it. It now here's the thing that cracks me up. It hits 137 on the Billboard chart. To give you an I to give the listener an idea, the younger listener, what record sales in 1993 compared to record sales in 2023 we're talking 30 years 
this record sold a hundred thousand copies. Yeah, I mean that's quite a lot. You know who's on that record? Slash is on it. Jeff Jeff, Jeff Beck. Beck. Is Sebastian, he Sebastian Bach. Um, three mem- two other members of Skid Row. Lenny Dizzy Kravitz, Bobby Clark, Matt Sorum. So in other words, all of Guns N' Roses except for Axel are on it. Lenny Kravitz, huh. um, three members of Skid Row, Jeff Beck. I'm going to tell you, you chose the wrong one. We should have done that one. Well, we'll do this one. <laughs> we'll do this one later. But I mean, think about 100,000 records now. If anybody sold 100,000 records, Metallica doesn't always even sell that much. When they did a live album, uh, the last official, like, seriously released live album they did, not like one off their website, it only sold 75,000 copies and it was considered to be a hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here we are, 137 on the Billboard chart for 100,000 copies. But that's that's wild how how much that's changed over the years. Indeed, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, so there's not a massive amount about the background of this, but yeah, but I guess um, he was out of Guns N' Roses. He wanted to do something. This is before he did his band Loaded, but quite a few of the tracks from this were re-recorded later on one of the Loaded albums, and about half the tracks on this album were on one of the Loaded live albums from 1999. Um they still toured this album before Loaded as Duff McKagan. I love that. I love that. Yeah, they toured the album even though it was unreleased. Um, and it features Slash on two tracks, Izzy Stradlin on one track. If I could um, jump in, there was something you left out there. Go on. Not only did they tour, they, they toured to promote the album that they knew was shelved and would never come out. They also played six tracks of the 13 on the tour and those six songs were ended up being released on the that's the loaded album yeah yeah yeah. on the live album episode 1999 live yeah so i guess that was called loaded but actually was really just originally the duff mckagan band playing it i just think that's great that they did that and Hmm. that 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 this has got to be the only time this has ever happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i will jump back out now no, no, it's fine. Yeah, I know. I think you're right, man. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it it got shelved. Um, what else is on this? So there's there's um two members of a band called Plexi who I don't know very much about, but there there's three tracks which feature on rhythm guitar, Michael Barragan, and on drums, Norm Block, and they were both from a band called Plexi. Let's just look at them. An I'm American looking them up right now. Noise, Noise Rock. rock um i don't know much about them one album on sub pop in 1996 so it was kind of they were kind of a current band at the time then and this kind of um, came in, and it kind of came and went yeah yeah um there's two tracks written by a guy called al block who i believe he's, he's been in various like seattle kind of hardcore-ish bands and i don't know if they're covers or if he just wrote them for this album even though he doesn't play on it no idea. I just don't have that information. Maybe on Discogs we can look at a, a copy of the album cover and see if it gives more info. I don't know. It'd be nice if we could look at the liner notes. <laughs> you can on Discogs usually. Really? Uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, but this was unreleased, so no, you can't. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I wasn't thinking very hard there, so no, we won't be able to look at them. I don't think. Wait, hang on. Um, there are. You can buy this. Okay, you can buy it as a bootleg. 
CD Advance album promo. You okay, can get... so they did promo copies, right? Because there's an album cover, yep. and Getton started the um, promo campaign for it. So I think they were all but, you know, about to release it. And then it got shelved right at the last minute, really. And I'm I'm looking at the CD notes. Well, how it's been leaked because clearly it's been leaked. Yeah, like, we've. Heard I, I did know that there were promo it. copies. I apologize that I had forgotten that. No, it's all but right. Yes, no. there there was there there were promo versions released. There was also, uh, it's been released a couple of times, uh, bootlegged, of course. But yes, there is an official. The closest thing to an official release is the advanced copy. So that's, I assume, how it got leaked. But I mean, that's yeah. just crazy. That's, that's crazy that we are doing something so obscure. Yeah, indeed. But um, but it's one of those anomalies, and yeah, it just seemed fitting for our uh, our brief. That you know, de- it definitely hits our brand. Yeah, I- indeed. So, yeah, there's not a whole lot else for me to say about this. Um, we've talked about all the guests. Yeah, Mike Borden, listed as drummer. Don't know how much he actually played on. Um, Duff does vocals, bass, guitar, and drums. You know what? I'm going to guess. I'm going to pause it, if you don't mind. I'm going to pause it that he actually plays drums on basically the whole thing. I'm going to assume... Mike, Mike Borden. Yeah, I'm going to assume that Duff played the drums originally and then Mike Borden came in and, and redubbed them. I've got a feeling you might be right. Yeah. Because uh, everything just... else shows, you know, Slash, Lee Guitar right, on this yeah. and that, Izzy on this. Everybody, exactly. and but he's the only one where it's like he's just there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who, who knows? Oh, there's a guy called, I oh, see, apparently. Someone called Abe Laboreal Jr. played on it as well, who's also a drummer. Yeah. Um, but he's not mentioned in the actual credits that we can see, but he's mentioned in the blurb on Wikipedia. So I think that might be my favorite name of all time now. Abe Laboreal Jr. Yes. Because it's right. not he's not just Abe. He's not Abe Labor. He's Abe Laboreal. And he's not just Abe Laboreal, but he's Abe Laboreal junior exactly exactly yeah a lot of affectation mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah man so that's kind of about all i've got for this um so we can get into the track by track if you want you know what i let me uh let me ask you a question real quick if you smoke pot in seattle does that make you a seattle head well, that's track one, so that'll do for a pun um, right there. I so, guess. That's a, that's a rough one. Yeah. Well, it starts with kind of chuggy, slow, metal-y guitar riffs. Then it goes fast, and it's a bit grungy. I really like the vocals when they come in. A bit punk, a bit Iggy Pop. A bit rough around the edges, but good. You know, he's not an awful singer or anything. You know, not as acrobatic as Axl Rose or anything like that, but um, good voice. Nice, punky, but catchy sing-along chorus. Nice and heavy. Good, um, punky rock and roll guitar solo. I really like the energy of this. Um, there's a heavy percussive breakdown code a bit at the end. Um, really good opening track, I think. I agree with everything you said right there. I will say, based on the literally now hundreds of records we have done together... I think it's going to be safe to say in my brain that you are going to enjoy this album more than I do. Okay. 
Possibly. It's more your style than it is mine. Yeah, probably, yeah. As, you know, we have a Venn diagram of what we listen to. And I'd say we're probably about 50% of what you like and 50% of what I like are the same things. Yeah, yeah. Yours is punkier than mine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And this 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 record, and it, it's going to be a running theme, his vocals, if you liked his vocals on the Spaghetti Incident, you're going to love this album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, take that however you want to. As for this first track, my thought process, or my thinking was, wow, this is so far away from what I was expecting. And it's a great microcosm, a great example of what happens when you get five people in a room with five different sets of influences and what comes out when you, when you, when you bake that cake. Because this is, I would say this is probably very different than what Duff did, at, you know, when he was coming of age, when he was cutting his teeth. And it's very different from Guns N' Roses. It's that same kind of Venn diagram that that I referred to before. Mm-hmm. Not a bad song, great opener, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with it. But if there was, who's to blame? All right. Well, that's track two. This is one of the ones featuring the two guys from that band, Plexi. Um, so it starts with cleanish guitar arpeggios. Again, a bit grungy, but it gives way to this again punky rock and roll feel. But but it's a bit dark. There's a bit of, well, I guess that band Plexi are described as gothic noise rock. And there is a slightly gothy, dark feel to the chords and the melody here. Um, I like it a lot. It's a little bit idiosyncratic. There's some unexpected chords that are out of the key. It just goes in some slightly weird directions, but it's also in some ways just straight up catchy punk rock. Um, good melodies, catchy punk chorus, very short, two minutes and six. It's like, oh, okay, it finished almost before it started. I kind of think this one could have been a bit longer, actually. But um, yeah, great song again for me. A two-minute song is an unfinished song. I will say that forever. I, I can only name a couple that, that that's not. Anyway, here is where this record starts to go a bit wrong for me. Right. I said a bit. I didn't say off the it's it's not off the rails, but now we have like the band I was in, the I was only in one band for any significant amount of time. And we had such a such an identity crisis. I wanted it to be metal. Tim wanted it to be funky. Jay just wanted to smoke pot. And Brian wanted it to be smashing pumpkins. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure if anybody would listen to it now, it would come off as awful. Mm-hmm. And then later after Brian left, Tim had this great idea. We will do a different genre of music for each song. We did a mariachi version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. Okay. I have no idea what we, and I didn't drink or smoke anything back then. So I don't know what happened there. Uh, I thought it was dumb, but whatever. I didn't. Uh, anywho, so that's kind of how this song feels to me. There are too many. You're, they're going in too many directions all at one time, and okay. that is going to be a running theme for me. Uh, okay, yeah. If you I could... got a bit of that later on. I didn't get that at this early stage at all. But I, yeah, okay. 
I'm very perceptive. All right. All or right. maybe I'm just confused by what I heard later and I'm describing it to now. Either way, if you can figure it out, you're probably Superman. All right. Well, that's track three. So again, fast, punky, grungy, um, nice chorusy guitar sound. Um, again, catchy, but a bit dark, great energy, really nice dynamics, some buildups and crescendos, great vocals, some great vocal harmonies. Um, short again, this is longer, three minutes, 12. But look, yeah, I like this one. Good song. Again, pretty much keeping to the same theme. Punky, hard rock, um, catchy, melodic vocals with a bit of bluesy, swaggery, Iggy Popness. Works for me. You're the only person in this world that can say swaggery in front of me, and I don't giggle. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but here we are. You know, we're getting into the meat of the meat of the album, and uh, this is a good song. He, the vocals you describe them as great. I would describe them as passable, okay? Because it's more your personal taste. They're it, they're they're wonderfully performed. It's just not my it's not my flavor. That you know, I wanted mint chocolate chip. I got regular chocolate chip. It's just not the same. But not a bad song. You know, we're we're keeping it moving. We're going forward. And, you know, three minute twelve, nothing wrong with that. That's a good, that's a good single song. I uh, do not believe this song was released as a single because nothing was. However, probably could have been. But if you are into Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing and you love Beverly McCleary, here's a song for Beverly. Well, I remember I remember that book that we, we were we had that read to us in no Africa. you had that in england yeah judy bloom isn't it oh shoot who's beverly mccleary then well judy bloom wrote it oh did you think oh right you were going i thought you were referring to a character that i couldn't remember no 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 hang oh, yeah. on oh man pretty i screwed sure this up of, pretty sure tales of a fourth grade nothing is judy bloom um yeah yeah, we did. Yeah, we we got that. Yeah, um, uh, Beverly McCleary. Yeah. There you go. Oh, wow! Apparently, I made up a name. Okay. All right. Well, like huh. it. Like it. That was All the right. worst pun I've made so far. So continue. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, this, so this one is called "Song for Beverly." So clean strumming, guitar strumming, and then slow, quite quiet drums. So we're going for a sort of dark rock ballad, but it's a bit soundgarden a bit grungy. And you know what? I think they kind of just about steered this away from being the cheesy rock ballad. Um, it's There's some weird chords. There's some weird melodies. I like it. It's a bit odd, a bit unsettling, a bit dark. Um, builds gradually. Some string sounds, I think that's starting to get a bit overblown. They didn't necessarily need them. I don't know. It kind of stays on one level, this song, but it's quite cool in a kind of a sort of dark, messed up Lou Reedy kind of ballad. That's that's how I viewed this one. Um, so, yeah, I like this one. I wouldn't say this blew me away in the same way that maybe the first two. I don't know if any of them quite blew me away, but I really liked the first three. This one... A bit more fillery, but I did like the feel of it. Just for the record, it's Beverly Cleary, not Beverly okay. McCleary. She wrote the Henry Huggins books. Yeah, I don't know them. I don't recommend them. And okay. she also wrote the Ramona books. Ah, oh, Ramona. I, I, Ramona yeah, and I, Beezus. I know that. 
I know okay. that somewhere. I can't That's really that. weird that you would know any of these like little child American literature books because these books yeah. are so distinctly American. Yeah, I well, cannot... I guess we just get a lot of imports from. Uh, from I don't. The, uh, I don't know what you would call a nine-year-old going to primary school in England. A nine-year-old going to primary school? I think we just call it the same thing. Yeah, we'd call it a third grader. But oh, I see what you mean. Right? Yeah. No, we have. I think you have kindergarten, don't you? We call that reception. Did and you know we... kindergarten actually? And we have before that now too. That actually started in St. Louis. A woman oh, in wow, St. Okay. Louis right. came up with it here. And now we actually have a grade before that. So we have pre-K. So well, I we... think pre-K is probably our reception, which is when you're age four to five. Yeah, yeah four and to five, then five to six. Right, so kindergarten for you is year one for us. So really? we call that first year. So your fourth grade is our year five. Okay, so you, I, we would call it a third grade or you'd call it a fourth grade. Well, you'd call it a yeah. grade four. Year four, yeah. Year, oh, wow, okay. Because in, yeah, in yeah. Canada, it's grade four, so year four there. Wow, right, so yeah. many degrees of separation from the motherland. Anyway, <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Song for Beverly. Uh, I don't need those synths. I don't yeah. need them. That, and they come back quite a bit on this album. Towards yeah, I can't tell if some of them might be real strings. They're probably not. They're probably synthetic strings. But yeah, there's too okay. much. I would let's be let, Let's be fair then. I don't need those things that sound like maybe real or maybe fake strings. Yeah, the orchestration. There we go. I do not require the orchestration. It adds nothing to any song that it's well, it has of. cheesiness here i mean don't get me wrong i'm all for orchestration when it works but here yeah it's unnecessary and it detracts yes it is a it is a it is a net negative on every song it's on the yeah. the music he is playing is not it is not it does not benefit from orchestration yeah, it's like if you've got Soundgarden and then put a load of cheesy strings not on just it. Soundgarden but like early it, bad motor fingers like you're listening yeah. to bad motor <laughs> finger and then all of a sudden he's like I'll shine I'll shine yeah. and of course now somebody's going to write into us and going to be like yeah did you not remember that on track four of bad motor finger there's actually lots of synths and some a full orchestra there probably is man but you know but you get the point. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, whew. I had enough beer in my mouth there that if I had spat it out, it would have shut the computer down. Thank you. <laughs> All funny, right. Okay. Real quick. Funny story. Kid and I are running our errands today. We're at Trader Joe's and my child does a pretty good upper class English accent. Okay. Uh, and um, I'm talking to the guy and we're, we're getting back and forth and she's like, give me that. You're being really chatty hand gesture. I'm like, yes, I am. She, she looks at me. She goes, father, why don't you speak to him like this? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Speak to him properly. And I'm like, oh, we're, we're doing accents now. No, father, this is my actual voice. <laughs> I just look over and I go, hmm, quite. And we walk out. <laughs> so, uh, pointless story. But, uh, God, what was I doing? You know what? Uh, I looked at, I, I was looking at things. I, I, I'm looking at this beer and I'm like, I don't get you. I don't know you, but I got to put you back. Okay. So yes, put you back is track five. This features Izzy Stradlin on rhythm guitar. And he also co-wrote the song. Um, recognizably Izzy's guitar, 
Um, like when I saw, I've seen Guns N' Roses twice, both in the sort of Axel only lineups. But the second time, um, he had Izzy Stradling guesting on about half the gig, from what I remember. That and would be amazing. amazing. Yeah, it was cool. It was it was amazing though. How much suddenly you were like, oh yeah, okay, that's what this song's kind of meant to sound like. You really noticed Izzy's um, idiosyncratic playing. Uh, on those tracks, you know, he's got perhaps a more distinctive style than he's given credit for. You know, everyone talks about Slash, of course. Um, so, yeah, again, that's here and that's good. Bit Soundgarden and grungy again, but also this is a little bit cheesy mainstream rock, especially in the verse. Yeah, so I'm not loving that. It's OK. It kicks in, though, with really great energy, and it's like this steady, stompy, bluesy rock thing with some nice slide guitar. Probably Izzy, again, he plays a lot of slide um, guitar. Good catchy chorus. Um, a bit punky again. Really like the chorus. Psychedelic grunge middle eight with lots of tremolo effect and stuff. Nah, not too massively fond of that. Um, it's a pretty good song. But it's not the best on here. I would I would personally, if I was the producer, I would say take that chorus, use that, scrap the rest and start again. The rest is a bit fillery for me. Um, it goes double timey at the end, like to a kind of... Well, I'm just literally singing a Guns N' Roses riff, but it does sound like Guns N' Roses. And that's the most Guns N' Roses bit so far. And you've got two members of Guns N' Roses on it, so I and two members of Guns N' Roses writing it, so I guess that's no surprise. So yeah, a good song, but not a great song for me. It's two proper members of Guns N' Roses because you know Gilby Clark could have been on here too. I would argue Gilby Clark was. Oh, uh, he he was only on. He wasn't even on Use Your Illusions. That was still Izzy, but he yeah. joined on the Use Your Illusion tour. Yeah, he only was on the Spaghetti Incident. Yeah, but but, but Gilby Clark, I, was, I I I kid, but I absolutely love him. He he was in the uh, Rockstar Supernova, the episode we did, and when he would come out and play with the oh, house that was band, terrible. That was like the worst thing. Well, yeah, I mean the album was 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 a steaming hot pile. It was a steaming hot flaming pile of garbage. It, yes. I mean, it was awful to listen to, and we did not get enough listens on that episode for what we had to go through. I'll say that much. Yeah, indeed. I tried something different, and it made it Spotify only, so I never did that again. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, but um, he he when he would come out and he would play with the house band during during that that run and that show, it was you could just tell how much higher of a level he was than than everybody everybody else there so love gilby clark and i, I was uh he's actually danny friend of the show danny nichols oh his band opened for them a couple of years ago nice uh, i was gonna go but it was still i was still pandemic gun shy so i didn't go but um yeah so izzy stradlin is, is starting really get the credit he deserves for what he did in Guns N' Roses because he for me he is the the MVP of that Guns N' Roses rhythm sound Slash is great don't get me wrong love the guy but he like many lead guitar players in this world he is far less about he is far less of the sound of the song than people give him credit for mm-hmm the, the, their lead guitar players are far over credited. Like I remember people would talk about how great Kirk Hammett was, 
before he even played rhythm guitar on a Metallica record. He didn't play. He didn't play rhythm on the first five records. Period. Yeah, I know, yeah. He played solos, and that was it. People I didn't like, oh. even know he played on any after that, but okay. Yeah, he play, he's been playing rhythm on all of them since then. Okay, okay. Which actually makes it better. That's my humble opinion, but that's... Anywho, so, you know, put you back. Okay, we're doing something. We're in the soft underbelly. And it's just... It's just, it's just shining down at this point. There you go. Well, that is track six. So... This is one of the two that might be covers. They're written entirely by Al Block, of who's been in various Seattle like hardcore bands, I think. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he just wrote these two songs for Duff. Uh, nobody knows. I don't know. Somebody knows, but I don't. Anyway, no one knows fast- and no one cares. Well, there you go. Fast, punky, post-grungy riffs. Like them. Good. Um, bluesy vocals over bass and drums with stabby guitars. And then that feel gets heavier with some nice swaggery, chuggy guitars. Um, the chorus is quite grungy, pretty good hook. Um, not the absolute best track on here, to be honest, but a decent, solid song. A nice, bluesy rock and roll guitar solo. So, yeah, I would say this is more consistent and solid than the previous song. Not quite up to the heights of the first three, but a pretty solid track. Do you remember the episode of the Mighty Boosh, the the Crack Fox? Yes. And the Scottish, yeah, the the Scottish homeless guy Jimmy, who's like Jimmy can take Jimmy takes cards now. I need fifty five pounds thirteen. That's a very specific amount. Jimmy's got very specific needs. Remember that guy? Not really. Vaguely, vaguely, vaguely. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. That guy was a character that was completely unnecessary, did nothing to move the story along. Yeah, and that's shining down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can go with that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't stick out. It doesn't It doesn't get your hooks in you. I didn't get stuck in. It's It's a nothing burger. Mm-hmm. And you will never hear me say, if, if they left this song off the record, I would not be missing you. There you go. That's track seven. Well, this is one of the three tracks with those two guys from Plexi on rhythm, guitar and drums. It's also co-written by the the guitarist, Michael Barrigan. Um, so this has an effect. Say, say his name one more time. Michael Barrigan. Oh, my God. I love hearing you say that. I want you to say well, that. How would you say it? No, I love hearing you say that. That is that is perfect. How would you say it? though? Barragan? I don't know. Okay, it doesn't that. matter how I would say it. Okay. I right. like I, I like the way you say it. So I'm saying. All right, all right, all right. I so, okay, that, just for, sorry, everyone. I am on cloud nine and so unstressed that I'm just saying whatever ridiculous crap comes into my brain. So good, man. Cheers. So this starts with an effecty intro, and then it goes into this slow, blissed out bass riff over some quiet, groovy drums. Um, Bluesy vocals come in, and then it kicks in a bit heavier. Well, quite a lot heavier with these sort of leady textures. I like them. Um, bluesy electric roads type piano comes in for the second verse. Good chorus with a great feel. Gets heavier and grungier for a bridge. Nice dynamics building and building. Um, psychedelic middle eight with some cool effects, which I like. 
and then there's, there's just a big single piano note right at the end. Bong. Um, yeah, good song. Bong. Sorry. Uh... <laughs> Nick's just making himself laugh here. I'm sorry. I have been so... I have no recollection of this song, and I'm trying to divert from that. It... This part of the album, like the middle third, is a blur for me. And I listened to this before, like you when you when you sent me your last message saying I'm ready, I was still listening. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. none of this hit. It's just like, wow, this is it is not gonna go ahead and give me any hope. Okay, well, this is the one of the two with slash on the guitar. Um, it starts with intricate slash lead guitar over acoustic strumming and like a grungy, angsty chord sequence. It's kind of grungy, psychedelic y. And for me, this one just really doesn't work. It just feels totally lost direction wise, trying to go in too many different directions. You've got slash being kind of metal slash, where he's all very twiddly. But then there's grungy, angsty chords underneath, but it feels a bit unconvincing. It doesn't really fit with the twiddly lead stuff. The chorus is cheesy. Um, This is a total waste of time, this song. Um, No, no hope. Wow. Wow. Okay. The best part of this this song being a total waste of time is it's the longest song on the record. Basically. Oh, is it? Right. Yeah. I didn't notice. That, I'm but... sorry. No, I take that back. It is the third longest song on the record. It is 432. There is a 433 and a 442. So okay. one of the longest, essentially as long as the other two long. Yeah, basically. Yeah. It, it's remember when I said earlier, there are times where this record is these songs are trying to go in so many different directions. Yes. They're, they're, I mean, they're the members of this band. If they were a human being, they were going in so many different directions. They would have been tried for treason and drawn and quartered in in, in London. Yeah, this is doing that, and also, do you know what? It's weak melodically as well. It just there's nothing to hang on to, nothing memorable. You know, like. When Guns N' Roses do their really overblown stuff, it's not my favourite side of Guns N' Roses at all. You know, November Rain, for example, but it is strong. You know, it's well-written, it's catchy, it works for what it is, even though it is overblown cheese. This is kind of overblown cheese that's just all over the place, but isn't strong. Um, Nah, it doesn't work. See, right, November Rain is a delightful plate of camembert, mm-hmm. whereas hope is Velveeta. There you go. Yeah. So let's go on holiday. All right. Well, this is another cover, holiday. or Well, or is it a cover? It's one of the ones by Al Block. Again, we don't know if it's a cover or if it was written specifically for this. We could probably just Google the track name, couldn't we? But anyway. I'm not Googling anything. We're too lazy. So p- fast, punky, hard rock, rock and roll, it's like Guns N' Roses at their fastest, but it's in 7-4. It's almost hardcore punk, this. Um, it's a cool, nice riff. Bluesy punk vocals. To me, they're back on form here. This is when this album is at its best, when they're being as punk as possible and as heavy and aggressive as possible. And Duff's just doing his shouty, punky, um, 
what's he called Iggy Pop type vocals, but they're also they also have the catchy melodic hooks and choruses, which is exactly what they've got here. Great chorus hook. And there's a cool noise rock guitar solo that then kind of morphs into a slightly more melodic and bluesy guitar solo. Great track. This is what they should be doing, in my opinion. Sorry, I was still on mute. I'm going to completely agree with that, but I'm also going to point out that that is precisely what I dislike about this record. Mm -hmm. I'm not not punky. I mean, I've got about... I think I own personally that are mine about 900 records. I don't count any of my CDs or any of my digital stuff because most of that's, you know, random promos I got over the years. But, you know, I've got about 20 punk records, you know, and two of them are The Clash. And a couple of them are, you know, old school, like pre, what would really should be called proto-punk, you know, mm-hmm. like James Chance, and, where they're playing saxophones. I mean, yeah, yeah. Picture a punk record with a saxophone now. It, it well, just not... X-ray specs, but yeah, I mean, obviously we're talking 1970. See, saxophone was quite, they, there were quite a few punk bands with saxophones back in the day. But yes, I know what you mean. From well, the saxophones, 80s onwards, were, saxophones were everywhere in the 70s. and Yeah, saxophones seemed quite unpunk from the 80s onwards, I guess. Right, exactly. So what he does best is what I don't like. But that's sure. just, that is just personal taste. Mm-hmm. So it's another song. It's, it's probably, you know, it's really one of the better things. And bass players are different animals when it comes to writing songs. Mike Watt talked about how he cannot. You know, he didn't write this one, don't forget. Yes. But. But yeah. That's not the point, sir. <laughs> I'm, making a, I'm making an overarching point about the record, not the song. Okay. All right. Because I don't remember the song as well as you do. Um bass players are different animals when they come to writing songs if they write a song mike watt discussed if he wrote a song on bass it would be completely dominated by the bass so he wrote every song he wrote he wrote on guitar Mm -hmm. and duff sounds like when he writes because he's playing guitar on all these tracks yeah but when he when we get to these really the songs that really fit him that really work it's like he wrote them on bass and that's probably how it always should be. It's got that that gallop that things like Superman and Song for Beverly and Put You Back don't have. Yeah. So can you make a pun for this one? I feel like you got a good one in you. Um well now and then I can make a pun, although the song's called Then and Now. So anyway, that was terrible. Um, Well, this is track 10, and it is another one of the ones that has the two guys from Plexi on. It's also a co-write. It's Duff with a guy called Paul Solger, Solger, who is... No idea who that is. The Seattle hardcore guy. I believe that his main band was called, was named after him, was called Solger or Soldier. Um, Yeah, Seattle hardcore guy. so this starts with nice heavy punk blues riff, which is very cool. I like it. It's quite Stooges again. Really enjoying that. Catchy, punchy, heavy. Goes half speed for the bridge with some cool bass fills. Um, I noticed the bass more on this track than on a lot of the others. Um, 
an unnecessary middle eight. It's like, just keep to the point. We don't need that on track like this. This should be short, sharp, snappy, straight to the point, um, but a cool noise rock bluesy solo. So yeah, I would have personally just cut the middle eight. It's four minutes, 10. It could have been three and a half minutes and it would have been a really, really great track. It's still a very good track. I wish I had something great to add here, but I don't. And we are about to, the next song is when it it really starts clicking back for me. It's, it's, it's like I checked out in the middle of this album, like the middle third, just completely missed it. I listened to it. I mean, I'm sitting right here and it just didn't, it just, it just, it just didn't hold. I hate it when that happens. And even, you know, normally when we do this, you talking about it and going through the, the ups and downs before you give your, your opinion jogs my memory and nothing. No. Okay. I don't know how that happened. All righty. Anyway, if it's cloudy, it's going to rain. All right. Rain, track 11. Um, acoustic arpeggios and lead guitar, balladish. Those synths come in, orchestral string style synths. It's pretty cheesy. Then they start to bring the pizzicato strings in, which if, if people don't know is when you're plucking the strings, you know, plucking the violins. Doop, doop, doop. I think they're synthetic versions. Um, It's cheesy. The vocals are okay. Like, it, I don't know, man. It could have been a lot worse, but it's really, it's dangling us right over the ultra cheese pit and threatening to throw us right in so we're completely submerged. But, you know, the cheese pit's right there. Um. You know what? I just don't think the melodies are great. Again, it's it's that bad combination where it's overblown. It's like they're really hyping it up. They've really um, overdone the production to make it bombastic and huge and really orchestrated. But there's nothing actually there at the core of it that's particularly great. Um, and then it <clears throat> it just dawned on me that, you know what? This sounds like Nickelback. Um, no. What? Yeah, Sorry. Are you, are, are, are you done? I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I'm done, man. I'm done. <laughs> this sounded nothing like Nickelback. I'm just going to, I mean, I don't, I don't know. What, okay. I have so many great analogies I'm going to run through on this. I got to use them all. Um, when you said, you know, we're dangling over the pit of cheese. No, this is the pit and the pendulum of cheese. So the, okay. it's got a wheel of cheddar swinging above you. And there oh, is a, pit of molten queso so are you going to yeah. get bludgeoned to death by the cheddar or are you going to burn in the queso mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what this is and sure. this song is basically an amp line for a modern metal band for those of you who don't know a modern amp line in a metal band is a facade all the, they mm-hmm. they have like little lights it makes it look like they've got the big martial wall they don't because nobody needs that now. I saw Metallica last week. Did you know I saw Metallica? You know how many amps they had on stage? Zero. Zero. You know why? They don't need them. They got earphones and they got microphones on the amps underneath the stage. The the wall of amp thing is it's it's over. It's done. If you see somebody doing it, it's probably fake unless it's Ace Frehley because he can't hear any goddamn thing. So he needs all of them going into his ears, which unfortunately makes him not hear as well, which next time the concert's going to be louder and you're going to hate going. 
I'm sorry, where were we? Rain. Uh, this song is terrible. This song yeah. is awful on a degree where they real. If, if, as you discussed, excuse me, as you discussed, they, it's really overblown. I mean, this is a plate of cheese. This is a charcuterie board of post-grunge anti-hair metalness. It, it's got the salami. It's got the cheddar. A little bit of a little bit of pepper jack, some mozzarella. It's awesome. Except for the, it tastes awesome. Except for the fact that it's terrible. This, I mean, this cheese is rotten. The the salami's been left out for three days. It just feels like they knew this song needed something, so they added everything. These synths are the these orchestral sounds are so unnecessary and so terrible. I'm probably gonna have a sore throat in the morning after listening to this. <laughs> there you um, go. Yeah, song is terrible. Uh, this is it's it's good. I'm gonna be so sick in the morning, but I will not have a beautiful disease. Okay, well, this is the title track. Is track is the penultimate track as well. It's a co-write with someone called Eddie Hewlett, who when I googled, it just didn't really come up with anybody. So I don't know who that is. But anyway, fast rock and roll, very punky, some fast lead guitar at the start. Um, kicks in with shouty punk vocals, pretty cool. Some good riffs. Um, great chorus, harmony vocals underneath the shouty, punky vocal, bluesy, punky guitar solo. And again, just a little bit idiosyncratic. We've got some slightly odd, unexpected chords and things like that. So again, they're, they're back to doing what they do best. This one really worked for me. Great song. The problem I have with this album is the songs that work the best in the style I like the least and the songs that work yeah, the worst okay. are just terrible just terrible <laughs> you know he he likes he he likes that as I would probably call it second or third wave punk like the the post Ramones oh. era American punk the the hard which mm-hmm. which is what yeah. I which is probably hardcore you know which is just not and yeah basically yeah there, there. Hang on. We should have mentioned. Do, 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 do. I give me one second. I apologize. I apologize because there is uh, something important here. I think. Yeah. Uh, no, there's. Well, this album when he toured this, he was actually touring in support of Des Cadena of Black Flag. That's well. He I mean, ha- didn't he have? No, hang on. Didn't he have him in his band? He had him in. The band, no, yeah, he was. Yeah, he, yeah. I, I apologize. No, no, I, I'm, Des I'm sorry. I, sc- I screwed that up. Band. Yes, De- he, he's the in the band that he created to have to tour this record. He hires one of the Black Flag lead singers, and yes, I don't. The, the close, but I think probably just the guitarist. Say that again. But yeah, I think probably just as guitarist in the band because he was a guitar. He's a guitar player as well. He's that guy. No, he was the singer. And guitarist. Yeah, singer. He was the third vocalist of, of, of Black Flag. So Yeah, I know, I know but and guitarist. I, I, yeah, I've, got yeah, a, yeah. I've got a feeling that he was the guitar player in Duff's band because Duff would be the singer. When, oh, when, yeah. I mean. Duh. Yeah. Either way, he still has him there. He does, yeah. And that that's just where he lives. And it's just not my 
jam. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It just, you know, I see this and I think to myself, I'm just going to go upstairs. I'm going to go to the Mez and eat. Okay, there you go. Yeah, Mez is the final track. So this has Slash on lead guitar again. It's a very similar feel to the previous track, a bit too similar. Like they probably shouldn't have put these two tracks next to each other. But anyway, fast rock and roll, punky, riffy. Um, it's got a jangly, angsty bridge, which I think is a bit cheesy. Um, a big slash solo in a different key. It's it's cool, actually. And it's like very typically slash, but at his bluesiest. So it's it's great to hear that. Um, I don't think this is the absolute best melodically, but it is a pretty good, solid song. Maybe not the, um, uh, what's the word? Maybe not the going out with a bang, um, you know, finish on a high note thing that they perhaps would have been better to have done. But it, it's a decent, solid song, um, but maybe just doesn't add a whole lot to what we've already heard, apart from that nice solo from Slash in the middle, which is cool. Uh, I feel like Beautiful Disease would have been the perfect album closer to this. Yeah, exactly. I agree. It's a great song. It's the title track. Just get Slash on that. There's some fast lead guitar at the start. Slash could have done that. And then later oh, yeah. on, the star solo, just get Slash to do his own solo there. That that would have been better. I don't, I don't mean I don't mean to take Mez uh, Duff. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, and a guy called Noel Golden. But yeah, it just feels like they could have done with some more ruthless production where someone... I'm kind of going into my sum up now, but it's like... I didn't know, finish the song. I know, I know. But it's just like they should okay. have said on this song, don't do that. Do it like this. Finish with Beautiful Disease. Anyway, go on. You can finish now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I did not yield my time, sir. I did not yield my time. <laughs> Uh, yes, Beautiful Disease would have been the perfect closer to this. I'm not saying get rid of Mez, but, you know, put it somewhere else. But, yes, put Slash on on Beautiful Disease and kick Mez, you know, towards, you know, the soft underbelly. But, you know, it's this is more of like that blissed out kind of thing that you were hearing earlier. This strikes me as blissed out, and which is weird, which, which makes it a very bad closer. Mm-hmm. And to go into my sum up, if you don't mind, sir. Uh, no, yes, right. yes, they definitely needed far more ruthless production on this one. This 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 album reeks of self-production. It reeks of self-importance. It reeks of somebody who said, I sold 30 million copies of my record. I know how to write songs. I know how to make a good record. And you know what? No matter how many albums you sold... Unless your name is Jimmy Page, you shouldn't be producing. You need somebody with honest ears to tell you what's up and what's down. Because especially the dudes in Guns N' Roses, they aren't, you know, well known for being in their right minds most of the time. So, yeah. And we one of the things we didn't talk about is this album is 48 minutes long which makes it in my brain a mm-hmm. bit too long. That's about, you know, Led Zeppelin, a Led Zeppelin record apart from physical graffiti. And I think we can all agree that nobody makes better records as a whole than Led Zeppelin until they got, you know, on heroin. Once they got on heroin, it just kind of got ruined. But if you look at their first five or six records, they make 40 to 42 minute albums, period. They go in, they bang it, they kick it home. No stinkers, no fillers. 
So mm-hmm. here we are at 48, 49 minutes. You're two songs too long. Yeah, I can go with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lee, you know, when you are at a concert, it doesn't, the, the, the sameness doesn't matter as much. When I'm sitting on my couch listening to a record, the sameness matters a lot. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, they needed somebody to kill the babies to to take a couple of these tracks out. Which tracks you want to take out? Well, you know, it doesn't matter. If two two tracks are gone, this album improves significantly. Two tracks, I'm spin it. But since it's not since they had them all, I'm bin it. Too much, too much. Wow. Okay. I said it. Well, no, I, I'm spin it on this one. I I'm Yeah, sorry. Yeah, look, I'm a spin it on this one. It, it's flawed. There's probably like I would probably probably lose about four songs from this, and then just make it a nine four. track, like about yeah, about thirty five minute album, nine tracks, and I think it would be a really great album. But still, that's three quarters of the album that is very good to great. Like, I don't think any one track on this album is absolutely mind-blowing. But, however, there's plenty of it is very good. Um, you know, I, I, I like that feel. Like you say, I'm a bit more into the punk stuff than you, the Stooges and the, the 80s hardcore punk. There's plenty of that going on here. But also some nods to that swaggery, rock and rolly Guns N' Roses thing as well. Great to hear Izzy. Great to hear Slash on here. Um, yeah, you know what? For the most part, this one really does land well for me. There's just two or three absolute stinkers and a couple of meh tracks, which I would probably lose. Um, but, you know, overall, that's still three quarters of the album's very good. So it's oh, got to be. No, three quarters is a spin it. That's fine. Three yeah, quarters yeah. is totally spin it. Yeah, However, yeah. as we discussed earlier, it, it's not my style. So yeah, yeah. when something is not my style, you, you've got to nail every landing. Yeah, yeah. For me to want to do this again. And if you are new to this 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 podcast, our rating system is binary. Spin it means I will listen to this again. Bin it means I will not. That's all it means. It's mm-hmm. you, you can put as much and I, we, then we try to give as much of our personal perspective as we can to get to, excuse me, to explain why we got to that point. My point is what Duff likes. I don't like sure. that, that's all it is. And you know, my, what he likes, I don't like. And then there's a few songs on here that are just bad. So it's, it's just going to push me out the door. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Anything well, else? I liked it anyway. Anything else, my friend? No, that's it. that's it. All right, everybody, thank you for taking an hour to listen to us talk about a record you've never heard of that I had never heard of until Duncan sent me a text message. Thank you for that. I think maybe I don't know. Anywho, we are just a couple of dudes talking about records you've never heard of, talking about records you've never heard of by bands and member and artists you love. We are a we are not part of a major network. We are just two guys on a Zoom call calling it like we see them. If you've enjoyed this, you could wonderfully be our PR firm. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and like, respond, interact, tell a friend what you heard and how witty 
one of us is. I'm not saying you have to say me, but one <laughs> of us. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Department of Metal Antiquities. We listened, and now it's your turn. <laughs>